0: to the meaning of my heart, that to feel love and oneness is to live, and this, the magic of our golden change, is all the truth I know or seek, O sage. This video will discuss the inner being in the integral yoga. But first, a brief note on how this term and all the others will be used here. The integral yoga is not a mental teaching or system or philosophy, but a way of psychic and spiritual change. Sri Aurobindo puts this in no uncertain terms. Yoga is not a thing of ideas, but of inner spiritual experience merely to be attracted to any set of religious or spiritual ideas, does not bring with it any realization. Yoga means a change of consciousness. A mere mental activity will not bring a change of consciousness, it can only bring a change of mind. We should therefore Always read and absorb his writings as grounded in yogic consciousness and suffused with a yogic intention. Sri Aurobindo's language is nothing less than an outflowering of spiritual experience and realization of the highest sort. His words help us understand our own being in all its dimensions, aid us in progress in the yoga, and mark out the horizon of the highest ideal and the path to its achievement. His words are thus tools for aspiration, orientation, and stabilization in the yoga, sources of clarity and guidance. Beyond that, they are in themselves inspiration, spurs to truer movements, vehicles for realization. They challenge us to reach ever higher and deeper and wider, to bring the divine consciousness down and transform all the planes of being. In the true spirit of integrality, he shows us the meaning of all life is yoga, and this includes our usage of words. Never is there an abstract formula, a lifeless doctrine, or a technique asserted for its own sake. Rather, stress is always placed on sincerity and self-opening, rejection of falsehood and embrace of the Godward movement, bhakti and discernment of the true Self, and above all, surrender to the Divine or to the Mother, through whom and by whose grace every beginning and every advance is made. Thus, in what follows, There is a helpful vocabulary to learn, a schema of the spiritual soul, so to speak, but no required terminology or mental system to accept. There is no external mold to fit into, no belief to stick to, no form to conform to. On the contrary, this yoga entails an abiding plasticity of form, a flexibility in spirit to meet each occasion and demand with the truth, a creativity of soul which always finds fresh and meet expression for the infinite. This can be illustrated by the fact that in all 24,000 lines of Sri Aurobindo's epic poem Savitri, the phrase inner being itself does not occur once, and yet the journey of discovery of the inner and true being is written onto every page. One canto is even entitled Entry into the Inner Countries. I say this just to stress once more the importance of sincere orientation. All priority must be placed on the entry itself, not on any concept or vocabulary word. Without taking the steps to make the entry, it is no use asking from outside, what's in there? The door will open, but not unless we knock. In preparation, however, we can help each other figure out where the door is. We can show each other to the threshold. And so, in talking about the inner being in the integral yoga, the point is not to define it or teach about it, but to describe what is at stake in its realization. Certain distinctions are helpful, but only so that we can better recognize and experience in ourselves the thing itself. With that as preface, we're now able to embark. When we hear phrases like inner being and outer being, each of us to different degrees probably gets some intuitive sense about what is being talked about. However, the simplicity of the words should not deceive us. The more we contemplate the difference between inner and outer, the more questions arise. What exactly is the difference? Where is the boundary between inner and outer? Which of the two do I most identify myself with? Who am I, or what do I think I am, in relation to my inner being? Am I in touch with it? If so, how often? How regularly? Why not consistently? Constantly? What would constant contact with my inner being even mean? Then, on the other side, whence this attraction to the outer being, whence the strength of its tug, this deferral to the yelps and pleas of external nature and external self, whence its dominance over my movements, thoughts, and troubles, Whence also the resistance of the outer being to the inward change? This simple heuristic of inner and outer sums up the starting point for the whole contemplative or spiritual quest of humanity. Note that it is not a matter of being introverted or extroverted, those concepts only apply to the outer personality. And are at best surface markers of acquired social habits. What is at stake with inwardness, introspection, inner recollection, contemplation, interiorization, etc., is a dimension of our being not caught up in the outer personality, but rather standing behind it, turning inward to our soul, and psychic personality. The inner being is not determined by outer social habits. It is not driven by the egoistic desire and mind. At the farthest reaches, it cannot be identified with the time-bound self. Its essence is peace and poise and clarity of consciousness These are just a few of the many discoveries humanity has made in its travels through the inner countries. Discovery of the inner being, not the idea of it, not the concept, but the real thing, is the first step on any journey of spiritual evolution. That discovery, for it to be genuine, can only be initiated and motivated by an inner spiritual reason. It may come through various channels, for there is no rule in these matters, but whether we are driven by a physical challenge or illness or life crisis, or by an urge within us for a deeper meaning and aliveness, behind them is the call of the higher spiritual truth within us, which our psychic being pushes us to heed. It is a call to stop living in the external self, to awaken our consciousness and grow in it, and to center ourselves in our inner being in preparation for the heights. As Sri Aurobindo puts it in the synthesis of yoga, the call, once decisive, stands The thing that has been born cannot eventually be stifled. Even if the force of circumstances prevents a regular pursuit or a full practical self-consecration from the first, still the mind has taken its bent and persists and returns with ever-increasing effect upon its leading preoccupation. There is an ineluctable persistence of the inner being, and against it circumstances are, in the end, powerless, and no weakness in the nature can for long be an obstacle. Turning inward and growing within, of course, can be framed in countless ways, based on tradition or not on visions spontaneous or taught, gleaned or self-discovered. It is not a matter of religion either, though every religion at its most genuine seems to advise us to live within, whether to find God there, awaken pure awareness, both, or something in between. But the quest to turn inward, knows nothing of the categories religious or non-religious. Artists, thinkers, poets, musicians, creative persons in general, are always said to have a rich inner life, and they excel at showing us their passion, insight, and spirit. Their example, though not a matter of yoga properly speaking, illustrates how it is by tapping into the inner being that one comes into contact with universal powers and experiences. It intensifies the physical consciousness, so the body is in touch with greater capacities of the inner physical and its energies. It strengthens and empowers the vital consciousness, So that one's life force acts in touch with the inner vital, with a full comprehension of human ardor and luscious feeling. It heightens and enriches and diversifies and beautifies the mental operations, so that the mind is in touch with the inner mental and can weave with elegance, intelligence, and poetry. It pulls back the veil on mine, life, and body, so that they are, says Sri Aurobindo, in a more direct contact with the secret forces of nature. Through the triumphs of this inward movement, lives and creations are brought into a more universal and cosmic movement, a richer and more excellent expression of grand and rarefied life. Though not yogic, they still reach heights of possibility that far exceed what the mere individual is capable of. They tap into forms, ideas, energies that are trans-individual. At the origin of such enhancements of the nature is this focused delving into the expansiveness of self, stripping away the layers of habituated action and thought. The dross of unconscious conditionings, to find the authentic dimension where the being is at its most creative. It is to awaken to a consciousness within that comes to know the unknown, dwells in it, and makes it visible and manifest. In yogic terms, it is a progress towards our true personality in the cosmic divine. Becoming aware of the inner being does not mean withdrawing from the world or rejecting it. The inner being is not, by necessity, at odds with the outer being, nor in need of throwing it away. Quite to the contrary, it is through an increased consciousness of the inner being that the outer being can be utilized and transformed for higher purposes, as is clearly the case with creators who must know and work with the medium and material of their art. The ability to stand back from the workings of the outer nature, observe them from within, to comprehend how they work and turn them into an aid and appendage of the inner nature is one hallmark of humanity in general. Yogas of all times take this separation of inner and outer to the extreme, teaching us to discover that our most true being is within. In a more technical language, they teach that there is an undying, unlimited consciousness called variously Atman, Brahman, the Witness, Purusha or Shiva, and that we are that consciousness, It does not merely stand behind and support the nature, prakriti, or shakti. It is also one with she who is the consciousness force. Being and its manifesting power, Ishvara and shakti, are in truth perfectly united in knowledge, will, and action, existing as one creative pulse Of conscious light. It is important, however. To remember two things here. First and foremost, the integral yoga is not about attaining powers or siddhis for their own sake, but rather focuses entirely on yoking oneself to the divine, so that the divine can work through one for the sake of all, and never in terms of an individual attainment. Secondly, The integral yoga is not a world-shunning asceticism, not a withdrawal into pure observing, dissolution into nirvana, or an absorption in the transcendental absolute, but a yoga of cosmic transformation, of the spiritualization of the earth nature, and above all, of the divinization of life. In many spiritual teachings, Growing Within comes with the instruction to turn away from sense attachment, to renounce the ways of the world, to disarm the ego's desires, and so on, all steps that are variously necessary along the path. In the integral yoga as well, there is the necessity of rejecting whatever remains stuck in the ignorance whatever does not correspond to the aims of the yoga, whatever contradicts the deeper realization and call of the divine, all the tugs and pushes of the lower physical, lower vital, and lower mental ranges. Such features are concomitant with the quest to purify the nature. Their goal is to tear oneself from the hold of the obscurities, darknesses, difficulties and impurities of the outer being, so that it can instead become a channel of the luminous and numinous. This means discriminating between what is transient and eternal, what is of superficial value and what is of lasting or everlasting value. It means calling upon the will to make the psychic and spiritual change, These instructions are given so that we will purify our being, grow in awareness of the inner being and the spiritual self, and thus consecrate ourselves to the divine in our entirety, as an integral whole, which includes every plane of being, from the physical earth nature up to the supramental The listener by now will have noticed that I have used a few phrases from Sri Aurobindo in the discussion so far. It is time to now briefly outline that schema of the spiritual soul mentioned in the introduction. In the makeup of our being, there are different levels. By and large, humans maintain their consciousness somewhere between the physical, vital, and mental level. The physical having to do with the body and its needs and pains, the vital having to do with our life urges, impulsions, desires, and emotions, the mental having to do with our thoughts, opinions, systems, ideas, reasonings, and so on. The physical, vital, and mental level can be more or less external, unconscious, outer, As consciousness grows, and yoga means a change of consciousness, these different levels are understood as degrees and powers of consciousness which can be heightened and universalized and changed. The goal in the integral yoga is not to leave these levels behind for the supracosmic or to reject them, but to awaken even them and unify all to the divine truth. Deeper within of these three levels lies the psychic being, which to most remains obscure or barely glimpsed. The psychic being is our soul in evolution. It is that spark of the divine which has entered a physical body, taken on manifestation in matter and life and mind, and grows over lifetimes through Godward experience. Progress in the yoga depends on becoming aware of the psychic being and bringing it forward to govern the action of mind, life and body. Discovering the inner being is a first step in that process. The spiritual and transcendental level are above the mind. These are the higher mental planes reaching up to the supramental. The inner being is not located above, but within. It comprises the inner physical, inner vital, and inner mental with the psychic being behind. Once it is developed, it can join with the above, penetrate it and be penetrated by it. I've added here some other references for the sake of greater completeness but what matters here are the experiential realities it points out. Yoga teaches that the highest spiritual reality is being consciousness bliss, Satchit ananda and that this consciousness is fundamental to everything that is, though its degree of expression varies at different levels of being. That ultimate reality, that oneness, is not to be realized, however, only as standing back from manifestation or high above it and removed, but as a dynamic truth-force involved in it, where the ideal of the integral yoga is to bring the supramental, with its light and force and bliss, into manifestation. Beneath or behind our normal waking consciousness, then, there is a vast sea of activity, including the occult or hidden, the subliminal or subconscious, as well as the superconscient activity of consciousness. A much freer and larger and a more expansive movement of forces of consciousness of every type, all of which have their source and value and reason in the divine consciousness but it is only by awakening to these other levels that we become aware of their power and their play. Sri Aurobindo tells us, What we call our mind is only an outer mind, a surface mental action, instrumental for the partial expression of a larger mind, behind of which we are not ordinarily aware and can only know by going inside ourselves. So, too, what we know of the vital in us is only the outer vital, a surface activity partially expressing a larger secret vital which we can only know by going within. Equally, what we call our physical being is only a visible projection of a greater and subtler invisible physical consciousness which is much more complex, much more aware, Much wider in its receptiveness, much more open and plastic and free. He also tells us the inner parts in everybody remain vulgar or become high according as they are turned to the outward forces of the ignorance or towards the higher forces from above and the inner impulsion. Of the psychic. The outer being is what is caught up in ignorance and, generally speaking, it is turned to the outward forces of the ignorance. It is thus full of defects, impurities and imperfections. Normally it is something mostly fixed, sedimented, often inflexible and stagnant. It comes with a certain outward character, certain movements and tendencies, often stereotypical and following the general line. The outer being, for most, is that entire mass of unthinking habit which drives us into repetitive cycles of desire and consumption, of thought pattern. It identifies with the limited body and its small personal mind or ego, and so fears death. Its vitality is largely restricted to a set of narrow wants and minor satisfactions, though it suffer miserably to attain them. It sees in the world only what comes through the external senses, and does not feel things in their depth and secret touch. It is confined to the indigent corporeal range. As the name suggests, the outer being is superficial, obscured and partial, afloat in externalities that usually prove meaningless and, at any rate, bring no lasting joy. It is distracted by falsehood, addicted and fixated to movements chaotic and blind, and though it struggles for some margin of control, it is largely pushed around by forces much greater than it, and suffers constantly from a belief in its own smallness and limitation. Rarely does it see piercingly into its own reality and chance. And yet, Beneath or behind this outer being, something is burgeoning, something is yearning to come forth, our psychic being and true spiritual self, and with it all that lies in store for a nature transformed. In the canto titled Kingdom of the Little Life, Sri Aurobindo puts it like this, All was an impetus of half-conscious force, a spirit sprawling, drowned in dense life-foam, a vague self grasping at the shape of things. Behind all moved seeking for vessels to hold a first raw vintage of the grapes of God. On earth's mud, a spilth of the supernal bliss, intoxicating the stupefied soul and mind, a heady wine of rapture, dark and crude, dim, uncast yet into spiritual form, obscure inhabitant of the world's blind core, an unborn Godhead's will, a mute desire. For this divine force to become conscious, for the supernal bliss to spread, for the Godhead's will to be born, the inner being must be awakened. It must influence and guide the outer being, so that it can make true choices, grounded in the one inner choice of bringing forth the soul in surrender to the divine. The outer being cannot change on its own, and superficial changes just rearrange the same limited, inconscient pieces. Only by awakening the consciousness and turning it inward can the inner being transform the outer being and turn it into an expression of the true inner personality of the light. This is one of the great and prime purposes of the yoga. It is only possible by stepping back from the outer self to discover the inner self. The sadhana means to interiorize and concentrate upon this inner being so that its influence grows as the grip of the external self in the ignorance loosens. Then the inner becomes reality, the outer more like a dream. As the separateness is established more and more, One fixes oneself in the inner being and takes it as one's sole basis. This discernment comes, Sri Aurobindo tells us, by fixing peace in all the inner parts. This requires a full commitment to egolessness. Then the outer being is steadily and progressively purified of obscuring tendency and inconscient habit and detrimental garb. It is set right and no longer competes with the inner being for control over our nature. Gradually it becomes merely a machine or instrumentation in service of the creative power of the inner mind, life and body, then of the subtler energies of soul and spirit, until finally It is a perfect vessel for the divine influence from above on earth. To summarize then, the inner being refers to two things in the integral yoga, and both together. First, the inner mental vital and physical, which is in direct touch with the secret forces of nature, the universal mind, The universal life forces, the universal physical forces. And then, deeper still, the inmost or true mental, vital, and physical, which is nearest to the soul and can most easily and directly respond to the divine light and power. As Sri Aurobindo tells us, there is no real yoga possible, still less any integral yoga, if we do not go back from the outer self and become aware of all this inner being and inner nature. For then alone can we break the limitations of the ignorant external self, which receives consciously only the outer touches and knows things indirectly through the outer mind and senses, and become directly aware of of the universal consciousness and the universal forces that play through us and around us. And then only, too, can we hope to be directly aware of the divine in us and directly in touch with the divine light and the divine force. Otherwise we can feel the divine only through external signs and external results and that is a difficult and uncertain way, and very occasional and inconstant, and it leads only to belief and not to knowledge, not to the direct consciousness and awareness of the constant presence. The apparent grip on us of the outer being, not merely surface tendencies, but the fact that we live at the surface, attend first to the surface, gravitate so automatically to outer things impermanent lures and transient happinesses. This has always prevented us from attaining to our true selves and potentials, from contacting our psychic being, which is always there. The hold of the outer is ingrained and strong, rooted in an obscure nature and encouraged by a culture that is superficial often even when it claims depth. These facts must not be minimized or denied, but faced head-on. Many spiritualities of the past chose to throw away the body and mind, denounce the world and its beings, and overstep everything in the direction of an absolute, where consciousness may merge or dissolve, but yet the other planes of existence were left unchanged. A supramental yoga aims at bringing the light of the Absolute down into all planes of our nature. It is theophany and theosis both. The difficulty is obvious. There is a reason things don't change overnight. The steady pressure of sadhana, the interiorization and concentration, is necessary until one can live entirely inwardly feeling the oneness and living in it, not touched by the outer being and its inferior movements, but looking on them with a smile at their ignorance and smallness. As Sri Aurobindo writes, now speaking of the true being, The true being is the inner with all its vast possibilities of reaching and expressing the divine, and especially the inmost, The soul, the psychic purusha, which is always in its essence pure, divine, turned to all that is good and true and beautiful. The exterior being has to be taken hold of by the inner being and turned into an instrument, no longer of the upsurgings of the ignorant subconscious nature, but of the divine. It is by remembering always that, and opening the nature upwards, that the divine consciousness can be reached and descend from above into the whole inner and outer existence, mental, vital, physical, the subconscient, the subliminal, all that we overtly or secretly are. This should be the main preoccupation. The inner being is an infinite reservoir filled with peace, tranquil and strong. The more we practice tapping into that reservoir through interiorization, concentration and purification, the more the qualities of the inner being will come to radiate our outward parts, thus progressively reconfiguring and reorienting our entire nature. I thank you for listening to this video and wish you utmost sincerity in awakening to the inner and true being and to giving your psychic being over to the divine work. I close with these words of encouragement from Sri Aurobindo. To feel quietude, peace, the force working, is to be conscious. The unconscious condition comes only by confusion and admitting wrong suggestions and restlessness. If you reject these things, the true consciousness will grow in you. Naturally, The consciousness you have now is nothing to what you will have hereafter when it has grown. But it has to begin in this way and increase by quietude. You cannot have the full complete consciousness now, and it is no use repining and doubting because it is not complete or fully established as yet. That fretting only delays and hinders. Open yourself, remain quiet, let it grow.